Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, and welcome to the 128th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by a very special temporary guest host. Joining us for the very first time, we have one of the more accomplished players we've ever had on the podcast, the one and only Jay Horning. Jay, how are you doing today? Hey. I'm super glad you're here today because we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff. This is another retro episode. So LAIC just happened, listeners. And you're like, why are we not talking about LAIC? Because everyone's flying back from Brazil. And so we will get some LAIC talk later. We're going to let them all travel back. And in the meantime, we're going to talk about some old format Pokemon, something that a lot of you have said, you know, give us some more of this stuff. The other podcasts aren't doing it. So we're here. So we're going to get to know Jay a little bit better with some of those rapid strike questions. Of course, first time you've been on the podcast. We're going to talk about a little how long you've been playing the game, some of your accomplishments, and of course, some of the decks that you help to create and really shape the future of the game. And then we'll talk a little bit about retro formats as well. So Jay, are you ready for your rapid strike questions? Sounds like a lot of pressure, but uh, I'll do my best here. No pressure. No one's ever going to remember how many you got right unless you happen to beat Alex Cook's record of three answers in 60 seconds, which, (laughs) you know, I think you can do better than that, right? So we have 60 seconds to answer as many as you can. Question number one, winter or summer? Summer. What's your favorite snack? Chocolate, some sort of chocolate. What's your favorite retro format to play? Right now, I'm going to say 2004 or 2006. What's your favorite deck of all time? Gardevoir. And there's, I know that there's a lot of Gardevoirs, but Gardevoir. Would you rather be late or be early? I would rather be early, but I tend to always be late. Who would be your starter Pokemon? Squirtle. Super Salad. Salad. Toppings on your perfect pizza. Pepperoni, sausage, uh, onions, peppers. I'm going to say pineapple. What color sleeves do you use? Pink or yellow. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Okay, a little more modern, but Juniper, Sycamore, Oak, Rowan, or Magnolia? Going with my time, Juniper. What was your favorite subject in school? history history oh my god that is time so that was 12 that was pretty good that was pretty good okay all right we're doing all right better than three so it's significantly better this some would say four times better than three so <laughs> pretty solid uh i want to talk a little bit about the o4 and the guard of war here in a second but you said the very controversial pineapple on pizza no i know my girlfriend always gets mad at me. We always disagree on this, but I, I got to say pineapple on pizza. So when I'm cooking, that's how it goes down. We are a pro pineapple on pizza podcast here. So you're good. You're, you're amongst friends right now. <laughs> and then Squirtle. 
Why would you go with Squirtle? Squirtle was back in the day. I think I was five or six years old, got blue version. Squirtle was the first starter. Um, my friend got Charmander. So, you know, I got Squirtle is just how it goes, you know. Um, just always has been my, one of my favorite Pokemon. I've always loved Squirtle. I've always loved how Blastoise has been competitive in the game, too. So it kind of just goes together. Were you a Rain Dance player back in the day? I was. So I played Rain Dance, and then in 06 at Worlds, I played LBS, too. Okay, let's go. Did you ever pick up Delusion Archies, or was that not when you were playing? That was after, um, that was a little bit after my time. Um, I played. It was a big deck for cities, I think, in 2012, was the Deluge Blastoise, and we played it with uh, Keldeo and Mewtwo. Um, and I did pretty well at a couple of cities with it, so I really enjoyed that deck. And then have you picked up the newest version of Blastoise, Backscalibur? I have. I've actually played a, um, a decent amount of Chen Pao online. Is that, am I saying that right? Chen Pao, Chen Pao? Chen Pao, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little, the pronunciations get me a little bit on. I've heard different things for it, but no, the deck, um, I really enjoyed playing it, but it seems so, it definitely seems like a very, like if you don't keep that Backscalibur in play, the entire deck just kind of falls apart. And that's, I've always struggled a little bit with that because I feel like even with some of the older Blastoise decks, you could kind of play around with the Blastoise if it gets knocked out or not in play. Mm -hmm. um, the Backscalibur deck is a lot harder to play without the Backscalibur in play for it. I, everything you just said is the exact reason I don't touch that deck. Like, <laughs> you get down one fridge of backs and you lose the game and just cry, usually. Mm -hmm. We're not here to talk about standard, though standard might come up a little bit later. We're going to talk about uh, some of the history of the game. So how long have you been playing, or when did you start playing the Pokemon trading card game, maybe in general, and then most importantly, competitively, when did you start taking it seriously? Oh, I started playing when it came out, and mm -hmm. it was just some... Like every literally everybody else my age, they'll tell you it yep. was the big thing in school. My friends were all playing it. Um, and then a friend of my best friend and I got into it. We would go to like a couple tournaments together and things like that. Um, hindsight, we had no idea what we were doing, but <laughs> nobody did. Um, you know, when the game first came out. Um, so I did that for a while. Um, we played probably a couple of years and then. When they rotated, when Neo came out and they did the rotation thing and all the old cards were just useless, mm -hmm. we were banned, we stopped playing. Um, and then my little brother got into it, so I picked it back up in 2004 when um, there was kind of a transition between companies. Wizards got out of it, Nintendo got into it. Um, and then Nintendo, when Nintendo took over, um, they completely redid the system and redid the price support and everything. And that's kind of when I got back into it more to spend time with my brother. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I found out like, Oh, I kind of have, it was kind of like, I want to say like natural talent for it, you know? Yeah. I'm um, just kind of got, Oh yeah. Hey, I get how this goes. Like, um, that's kind of when my whole like competitive journey, I'd say started. So anyone who's listening this far, you kept listening. No one tuned out when I didn't say this, but I should have said this earlier. I didn't ever said your accomplishments. So you mentioned the little bit of natural talent and getting good and competitive, but some of the stuff that you've done in the game is a second place at U.S. Nationals in 2007. There is a top four at Worlds in 2009, a top 16 at Worlds in 2011, a top four at U.S. Nats in 2012, and a top four at Worlds in 2012. Am I missing anything big on there? 
No, I think he got it all. Um, just the only thing I want to say is I had a lot of amazing friends and obviously my brother while I was playing and a lot of those accomplishments are all, um, you know, I, I got to share credit with friends on that one that, you know, helped me and build decks with me and tested with me on those. So I think anybody who has done well at large tournaments has, you know, on some level is, is always going to credit the people they test with and work with on stuff. It's never a solo thing on it. You love to hear, you love to hear even so many years later when you could very easily lie and say, I did it all myself. You're still like, no, no, no. I had help from my brother and my friends. <laughs> did you have a cool name? Like I said, it just, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so we've had most of the X-Files on. Did your group have a cool name or are you just like friends who are testing with each other? You didn't try and brand yourself. No, we do. So the game was, the game was vastly different back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not going to. I don't want to say it was, it wasn't better for sure. Like the way the game is developed is far better for the community. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, um, there wasn't sharing information. Like I can go online right now and, you know, I can get, I literally looked at limitless today. I have the top eight deck list for, you know, LAIC. Mm -hmm. um, you could not do that back in the day. Like nobody shared deck lists. Nobody helped each other. Nobody worked with each other. Everybody had a couple of, most people they tested with and then nothing else and it's not good for the growth of the game because it was very hard for people to come in without that understanding and not really have that information to go to mm -hmm. but a lot of the you know the x-files and stuff like that like um we would nobody we would all hang out at events together but nobody would ever really talk about <laughs> decks or cards with each other so we were all kind of like separate and no, we didn't have a cool nickname or anything like that at all. That was definitely a, it was just for the most part, it was my brother and I, um, for a lot of it. So. So you mentioned that 2004 is your current favorite retro format to play. Did you love that format when you were playing in it? You said it was the first one that you like really competitively jumped back into. Was it your favorite then? Is it your favorite because of nostalgia? Like what made 2004 your go-to for that? I would say so much nostalgia mm -hmm. um, as I and I, I part of it, I would say is nostalgia, a large part of it, because as I've grown up and I've gotten older, um, it's really nice to look back and be, you know, like those fond memories of being like 15 and 16 years old, playing cards at the kitchen table with, you know, your brother is like, you know, not a stress in the world or mm -hmm. not a care in the world. Like those are the days like, you know, I always love those days. I always love looking back on those days. Um, and then I think, too, to really kind of look back at that format and see how wide open that format is, how many different decks are. They did a big 2004 tournament a couple of weeks ago, and I think there was five different decks in the top eight. So mm -hmm. to kind of have those, a lot of even matchups, things like that, it's all makes it very exciting. So why do you think 2004 is not a format that people usually jump to? Because every time in retro formats come up, it's like, okay, you can play RSPK, you can play 06, you can play 2010. You can sometimes there's like the 2012, the heart gold, soul silver, whatever that block was. These tend to be the go-tos or base Neo, I guess, if you're degenerate enough. Why is 2004 not one that, you know, you go to any tournament and someone's like, yo, I got my retro decks from 2004. Like, why is that not one people jump to? So I think there is formats that are really fun to play casually with friends and you enjoy playing them. And I think there is formats that are very good from a competitive nature. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned like um, some of the Neo formats are just full of coin flips. <laughs> I would never want to sit down and play a tournament of Neo. 
Um, that does, just does not sound fun to me to flip for, you know, baby flips all day. But I agree. It's a fun format when you're hanging out with your friends and you're just having a good time and messing around. Um, 04 gets a little bit of that. There is a lot of luck in that format. There's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of, um, there's not a whole lot of comeback mechanics in it. But I think what makes the format so good is just how decks match up against each other and how um, games can go back and forth. It's definitely a format that should be played in like a best two out of three, mm -hmm. um, in my in my opinion. But I would say that's probably the big reason that people don't jump to it versus like a 2006 or a 2008, which you do see a lot more, a lot less luck factor in. And one other thing, jumping back to your, you know, thanking people you worked with and your brother and the lack of a cool name like X-Files. You told me earlier that you worked together before we were on the podcast. You worked together at 2007 yep. Nats. He's probably worked together all the time. But 2007 Nats for that second place finish with the Scizor Gross deck, to quote what PTCG Archives calls it. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit about the creation of this deck that got you such a good finish and a little bit about the deck in general? Because I've got the image pulled up right now. I recognize cards like Holland Transceiver as staples and the Holland Engine, but there's other things that I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. So what what was a little bit about this deck and how did you and your brother come up with it? So I don't know how exactly we got on it, mm -hmm. but we it was we had started playing it very early in the year. And it was just something we had kind of worked with. We had kind of tested a lot of different decks. It was just something that we felt very comfortable with. Um, it did a lot of the things that I like to do as far as um, accelerate energy and um, it puts your opponent in a lot of tough positions. It does a lot of big damage. Um, there was matchups you would just win just because your opponent couldn't do enough damage to a scissor to make any sort of actual gameplay with it. Mm -hmm. um, and those were all kind of like little things that I looked for in a deck that I really enjoyed. Um, I played a lot of Blaziken in 04 and 05, so that energy acceleration was something I I, I looked for in decks. Um, but it was just something, it was probably that 2007 I'm really proud of because my brother and I worked all year on just that deck and we were testing it. I think we each won a state championships with it, which is, I don't even, you guys don't even have anything similar to a states now, do you? No, because like, to the best of my knowledge, league cups are significantly more frequent than the state championships were, right? Because league cups are yeah, once so a quarter per store. And then states, you got one states per state per year. So it was kind of like somewhere between a league cup, but definitely not at that regional level. Mm -hmm. But no, we worked, we kind of worked on that um throughout the year and then um that was a very tough year um we had so the invite system for and i'll just say it real quick 0405 and 06 was essentially um pokemon held um league challenges or i i can't remember the exact term but essentially they were basically like a league cup mm -hmm. where the winner got an invite to worlds and while that sounds very easy there was only like one or two weekends for these so essentially you had maybe two or three chances to win a league cup to get a world's invite mm -hmm. um and all the best players in the world would be doing it so it'd be like going to a league cup and you see like azul you know playing azul round one you know like you had all the best players that were playing against each other um so we got invites 0405 and 06 and then in 2007 um they announced that they were drastically cutting them back and i think 12 players in North America were going to get invited to play. World Championships that year were, I think, 64 players in general. Mm -hmm. was like the total world was 64 players for Masters. So we kind of rode off getting an invite, and we took the... 
it was a lot more relaxing of a kind of a year. And then we had worked all year on this, and then we both went to nationals, and um, I ended up second with a deck. My little brother just missed the invite getting top eight in juniors with the exact same deck, almost the exact... I think we were one-card difference mm -hmm. um, for the list. But um, the deck itself just meshed really well with the format, and a lot of players did not know how to play against it. I had a lot of people miscount damage. They weren't... Scissor did so many reduction things. Like, people... They weren't great at counting. They would just kind of call out attacks, and then mm -hmm. they'd realize they didn't have enough damage to knock you out, and just a lot of things like that just really, really worked in my favor. And I, I had some good matchups. I ran really well, too, so. I'd like to point out, too, for anyone who's listening to this and is like, that would never happen nowadays. I challenge you to watch Gardevoir players try and count by three and then say, are people going to miscount <laughs> when they're doing math? Because it definitely happens all the time. So with like scissor you had metal energies you had to take reductions on and then there was attack damage you had to take reductions on there was a lot of like little things and then if you did so much to scissor he would do extra damage mm -hmm. so a lot of players would just not take it into account yeah so i want to read scissor real quick for anyone like me who doesn't know what it does so scissor ex two prizes are the same thing right evolves from scyther that we currently got going on yep. 120 hp metal type so two prizes with 120 hp uh, can you put into some perspective, was this like the absolute tankiest stage one you're going to get at that level? Was this kind of an average Pokemon? Like, do you remember kind of that where yeah, Scissor sat? Yeah, um, it was probably one of the tankier decks. Mm -hmm. It was definitely one of the tankier Pokemon you're going to get with the special medals. 120 for a stage one EX was about standard in that time, which I mean, nowadays you get basics out of like 120 HP. <laughs> but yeah, for the time, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty tanky has an ability that if it has 60 HP or less, it does 40 more damage, which I can already imagine you mentioned in there, right? You're just like, well, I'm going to swing into as hard as I can and then assume it's going to work out later, which is a very valid strategy usually. <laughs> it doesn't work with this ability. And then Steel Wing, during opponent's next turn, any damage done to Scizor EX by attacks is reduced by 20, and that does 40 damage. So this is reducing 20. You said Metal Energy is reducing 10. And to the, met no, the Metal so Energy stack? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this thing would just kind of sit there and tank hits and you would steel wing over and over again until you eventually got there, right? Was there anything else super special going on in this list? It had energy acceleration from the uh, the Metagross. Um, Metagross was a good typing in the format too, being psychic. And mm -hmm. then um, a Queen would search out Pokemon and it would hit really hard as well. So it's just a lot of little cool tricks to do. It was a fun deck to play. Another one that you wanted to bring up, and I really want to bring up because this is getting a little more, it's getting closer. I have played with these cards physically in championship points earnings tournaments. That is 2012 Worlds. Brandon Wondering, this is even on Limitless. <laughs> That's how modern we're getting. This was a top four finish, looks like third place, with Darkrai Mewtwo, which is a deck that people might have heard of. But can you walk us through a little bit about how did you come up with this deck and were you expecting like this level of a finish? Cause 2012 worlds was a fairly large tournament, of course. Right. And getting top four is pretty massive. Like, was this a deck where you're like, I broke the format. I'm going to do this thing. Or was this like, I don't know. This seems cool. The second one, definitely <laughs> the second one, but no. So, um, I, so basically what it was is we have been testing a lot of different decks for nationals. Mm -hmm. um, there was a couple of people that I talked to. I talked to uh, Sam Liggett. He still plays. Um, and then uh, the Diaz um, 
he would always talk to the Diaz brothers. I wasn't super close to the Diaz's, but um, he would talk to them. And then um, he just kind of floated me this list and he goes, hey, what do you think of this? And it was um, it was kind of it was a dark rhyme Mewtwo combination, but it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I made some changes to it, sent it back to him. We talked about it for a few days. Um, and I think together we ended up changing probably 12 to 15 cards from like the rough, rough, rough draft he had sent me on it. Um, get out to nationals. Um, literally don't like anything. I have like five or six decks built. I'm mm-hmm. losing game after game with about everything. Um, played a couple games with it. It felt horrible, but it kept winning. I don't know, like, you know, everyone has those decks where you're like, this yeah. shouldn't work, but you just keep winning games. So, um, I think about midnight, I went to bed, I had nothing else to play, and I showed up the next day, just turned the list in, and, um, at 5-0, and oh, I was like, oh, okay, all right, this maybe isn't the worst thing. So, um, the one funny thing from that is I had a lot of full arts at the time, mm-hmm. and I remember I gave... Um, John Kettler, $16 to upgrade my, like, Mewtwo to a full art Mewtwo. And I was going to put my Facebook status as, well, it might not be good, but at least it'll be pretty for the for the <laughs> tournament. And then I forgot my phone in the hotel room. And then when I went back on lunch, I was like, oh, we're 5-0. and oh, We might just want to kind of leave this one alone and not tempt fate here. So, Right. Can't be jigsing that one of like, oh, this is going pretty well. Was it, wait, how much switch rounds were there? Was it nine like it is now? So... It, the difference was there was nine Swiss rounds. I think they broke it up because they wanted nationals. They really wanted it to be more of like kind of an event mm-hmm. for people. So I think we only played five or six rounds the first day. Okay. And then we came back and played several more the second day. But then instead of like when you guys do day two now mm-hmm. and you play those five additional rounds, um, we never did that. We just cut to a top 128. And then you just played single elimination from there. I always like that better because I'm old, mm-hmm. but like, um, you would just like every single game mattered. And it was kind of like your, your one focus in Swiss was to get to top cut. And then when you were there, everybody just started over fresh mm-hmm. and I get why players didn't like that, but I, I always kind of enjoyed that. So we did a top one twenty eight cut and then it was just round after round. So top one twenty eight cut is going to be what? one twenty eight sixty four thirty two. 16 8 4 so potentially eight extra rounds if you're winning the entire tournament yep that's ooh, that's a lot of that's a lot of single elimination pokemon so it was different though because like right now they'll play the championship sundays and they'll take the top two mm-hmm. for us they cut us down to 16 and then we all got to go back home and then we came in the next day and we played on sunday we played the top 16 down to the finals Okay, so this was essentially a four-day tournament if you're making it all that way, correct? Three. So three, I think okay. first day we played six rounds, second round, second day we played three more rounds, and then three rounds of top cut, and then gotcha. we came in the third day. So I, I think in total it was like 14 rounds or something. I'm not 100% sure, but okay. um, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of games. So I want to look at this Dark Cry Mewtwo deck real quick. And I guess the first thing, this is the Mewtwo EX with... It's not X-Ball. Yeah, it is X-Ball. Okay, good. The Mewtwo yeah, X yeah, with yeah. X-Ball, the one in, in the Celebrations collection. This Mewtwo is yep. infamous in the Pokemon trading our game competitive scene for... I've heard people straight up say ruining the game with Mewtwo Wars. I'm looking at your face for our audio-only listeners. Can, can you defend Mewtwo EX for everyone? Yes and no. So, like, 
the game has definitely had some power creeps. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we were just talking about 120 EXs to, you know, your 310 HP guard, 310 <laughs> HP guard of War EX now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you definitely see power creeps. And some of the biggest ones were, Mewtwo is definitely one of those where you're like, oh, this is going to be different now. Um, because for essentially one basic and one double colorless, you could knock out things your opponent had put a lot of work and effort and energy into. So using Mewtwo and I would say even getting as much advantage out of it definitely changed the game. Mm-hmm. Um, some people liked it, some people didn't. So I, I don't think there's a wrong answer for it, but it definitely is just it's how the future goes. So where was this deck and this finish at Worlds in the like Mewtwo Wars scene? Was Mewtwo already an established, like, you just cram your Mewtwo's into each other and hope for the best? Or was this one of those, like, first things that made it a deck? So one of the things that I was most proud about for that year was, and I, I want to careful how I say it so I don't take too much credit for it, was um, for states that year, mm-hmm. um, Electric um, Mewtwo was, like, kind of the big deck. And okay. I, there was one tournament overseas and one guy randomly had he did something in top eight with smeargle and i was like oh that's a cool idea so i basically built the deck from scratch brought it to the u.s and the deck did very well mm-hmm. um a lot of people made a lot of changes and additions and they really grew the deck from where i feel like i kind of started it but i definitely was like i feel like the week one was like hey this is a really good deck and i had the articles on six prizes for it um and then coming into um, so using Mewtwo and taking advantage of Mewtwo was definitely at states. As soon as Mewtwo came out, every deck was trying to use it or take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And if you couldn't take advantage of Mewtwo, you probably weren't going to make top cut. Most of the top top cut decks were Mewtwo based. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we came into nationals, the two biggest decks were very few players played Darkrai Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. And then some eel variants were kind of popular with Mewtwo. Um, but I remember the guy that I lost to in top four, um, his name is Kevin Nance and he was playing Mewtwo electric and I was playing Darkrai Mewtwo and we, there wasn't a ton of people playing our decks, like decks like ours. And then we walked into worlds in Hawaii that year. And I just turned to Kevin. I was like, Kevin, everybody in this room was playing our decks. <laughs> like the entire free play area that you were either playing Mewtwo eels or you were playing Darkrai Mewtwo. Like nobody was really playing anything other than those two decks in the entire room. So that moment, it was suddenly like, oh, the meta has become ridiculously yeah. narrow of these two things, is it? We literally did not even realize how like much of an impact those decks were going to have on the format until we literally walked into Worlds and that was all that everybody was playing. I do want to point out, I clicked on the World Championship Top 16 while you were saying like, oh... You know, you had to play Mewtwo. Everything was top eight. Was everything in top eight was Mewtwo, and my goodness, it is it is somehow more true than even what you said. So, first off, twenty twelve Worlds was stacked. Like looking at these names is like, oh my god, <laughs> this is some just incredibly good players, even still to this day. But anyway, uh, in top eight we had Darkrai Mewtwo Terrakion, Darkrai Mewtwo, Darkrai Mewtwo, Darkrai Mewtwo, straight Darkrai. Mewtwo, Terrakion, Celebi, Darkrai, Mewtwo, straight Darkrai, Darkrai, Mewtwo, Celebi, Mewtwo, Terrakion, Darkrai, Mewtwo, like, this is literally, everything is Mewtwo except Clifton Go with Chandelure, Acelgore, Locke, uh, coming in there somewhere. I don't, I don't know nothing about that. We're gonna, we're gonna ignore that one right now. So, 
how did you manage to in a world where the deck that you had worked so hard for to come out on top essentially on top when everyone else is playing the same thing like it's a level playing field at that point how did you manage to get so far I a combination of I feel like I feel like I had obviously a little bit more experience with the deck mm -hmm. because I obviously took it into the largest and most competitive, you know, tournament at that point, which was the US Nationals. So I kind of felt like I had some I don't know what you want to call it, battle tested experience yeah. with the deck. Playing against the some of the best players in the world in that tournament. Um I think that definitely helped me going into um worlds and i think i changed like one card in the list um but then or two cards in the list and then like going into worlds just a combination of knowing the deck really well and um just hitting those games you know like i think it's so easy to sit here and just be like oh yeah i was a really good player i did really well but at the same time too it was like everybody in that room is a really good player mm -hmm. it was just a combination of you had the right deck and the right matchups and you know you hit the you hit the hands you needed to hit and you played well with those hands and you took it from there. So I appreciate that take a lot. It's one of those where like, like you said, it's really easy to say like I was absolutely nuts, but it's like, well, I had to get a little luckier than some of my opponents. Cause these are really good players. Like to this day, like yeah, you have to do something different. And there was no like mere tech that you had going on here. So that was, so for me, and this was always kind of my weakness as a player, mm -hmm. I would just play super, super, super consistent decks. And if I always felt like, especially back in the day, if I played it, if I got a, a good opening hand and I was able to set up, I was going to win a majority of my games. Mm -hmm. That was just my approach. You know, if I'm going into like a, a huge tournament, if I have a good consistent deck um, and I'm going to set up every game, I'm going to win a majority of those games just because I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um. I think that was the approach I, I did, and I made some text with that deck. I think I ran an extra dark energy um, in that deck, and I cut some of the mirror text to play some more consistency stuff. Um, and top 16 of Worlds that year, game was called on time. It was sudden death. I hit a turn one dark right. So, like, I had hit, I think, playing that deck for probably six or seven tournaments i had literally playing dark Rock six or seven tournaments probably 50 or 60 games i literally hit three turn one dark rise so it was mm -hmm. one of those things where like hey that extra consistency definitely helped out um but then in top four i played against harrison um and harrison took the opposite approach he had a he had a less consistent version than i did um but his was far more teched for mirror he played a couple copies of potion he played a couple copies of max potion um and I think he would have won the first game regardless. I would have won the second game if he wasn't as heavily teched for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then who would who knows what happened in the third game. But um, I played a very consistent deck. The top two played far more teched for mirror decks. So, you know, take that as you will. Um, obviously, you know, I, getting third at Worlds, it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing. But at the same time, too, like, you can't be too upset about a pay <laughs> trip to Hawaii. And, you know, some... Yeah. Um, so I can't hate on it too much, but yeah, there was definitely some different approaches to it. I also have to give a quick shout out to a couple weeks back where we talked about the worst cards to see success and you very nicely name drop potion. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to the episode with a Ruby Retro and Whimsicast about some of the worst cards to see success, be sure to listen to that because uh, 
spoiler for one of them, Potion, which was clearly a very relevant card in this format and then never again for its entire existence. This podcast is sponsored by Tabletop Village. Tabletop Village is the premier Pokemon first trading card game store in the United States. And if you shop at tabletopvillage.com and you use code MELLO5, that's M-E-L-L-O-W, the number five, you will receive 5% off your order of any sealed products, any sleeves, or even other games that they have, including Yu-Gi-Oh! One Piece or Flesh and Blood. So be sure to shop at tabletopvillage.com. Use code MELLO5 to help support the podcast. All that good stuff. And seeing people go back and try and break these formats and almost completely, not completely change the meta, well, sometimes, yes, a Stantler exists, right? But, you know, make these massive swings and differences. Like, what are your thoughts when you see people doing that? Or are you taking part in that even? So I think one of the things that I was, I, I, I always enjoyed the deck building aspect of it. I think it's a good, um, I don't want to brain teaser, however you want to say it. You know, people do crosswords and things like that. I always enjoyed doing that same sort of thing with like retro decks and, you know, especially as metas got a little bit more defined, it was easier to kind of find those, oh, hey, well, this would do good, or hey, I'd really like to make this deck good. Um, and then coming back and then finding success with a lot of those, um, I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I think you see that a lot um, with a lot of the retro tournaments where you'll have, like, um, the deck lists. You, you don't necessarily see differences in meta. You do, but it's you see a lot of the same familiar faces, but the deck lists are so much more polished. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like when we talked about where there was just kind of a lack of information. Um, people weren't able to dive into it as much. And then nowadays it's like, you know, anybody has an idea, they put it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else, and then somebody else borrows from that. And, you know, you get pretty, pretty darn perfect deck lists, especially when you're sharing from, you know, like we talked about LAIC, the entire top eight's up there. Mm -hmm. Um you don't have that with the older formats. And I think that's one thing that I do enjoy is I feel like there is a lot of creativity and a lot of room to kind of go back and explore that um, far more than you'll probably see in 10 years when people come back and like, oh, hey, let's play the 2023 format. You're probably not going to be like, oh, man, this deck 9010s Gardevoir. How did we not figure this out back then? You probably don't. You're not going to have that as much. But mm -hmm. I think going back and kind of like finding those little texts and those little things, I really, really, really enjoy and then the older formats, I think you see it a lot more, but sometimes one or two little cards can take a matchup from bad to really good. And that's when you see a lot of those swings and things too. So how much are you like involved in, you mentioned like looking back at these old tournaments, are you participating in some of these, I don't want to say high stakes, nothing's high stakes, but high profile, <laughs> I guess, retro tournaments that we're seeing pop up occasionally, you know, either the ones that Jason Klesinski's running through TCG one or the ones that are actually IRL, like NAIC had some big ones in this past year. Like, are you participating in these things quite a bit or? I've gone online and I played quite a lot. I put a lot of videos out on kind of retro decks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I know some of those have done very well. I put out a Gardevoir list for 2010. I know somebody took that and won the NAIC tournament with it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as have I had the opportunity to play in some of those? No, I haven't. I played in, I think, a couple of the 04 ones. I played in a lot of the RS to PK ones. Um, like you mentioned, though, I think that was... Uh, RS to PK has kind of evolved into a, a format that it, it's hard to get as excited about um than it was originally like mm -hmm. when we first started playing that format it was um 
a lot of like everybody was trying different decks and something different was winning every week and we were all like having a lot of fun with it and then when people kind of realized that stantler and pow hand extension were like the best cards to kind of like and you could cram those into a lot of decks the meta became a lot more i don't know how, how, how do you even explain playing against pow decks is probably like Playing, if you had to play against Powdex every round, it'd be like going to a tournament and playing nothing but Snorlax stall, like the entire <laughs> tournament. Is how it feels sometimes to play some RS to PK, and I know people disagree with me on it, mm. but um, it's it's hard for me to kind of get excited to do that for a, a full tournament at the same time. So, Pow Hand Extension for I assume people who are listening to a retro episode have listened to most of ours. If not, go back and listen to them. But Pow's come up before. It's two things. It is both. Uh, correction you get to choose it is either counter catcher or i don't even know there's no other card like it but you can move an energy from is it a pokemon or the active pokemon to one of the bench pokemon so from your active to one of the okay. bench so essentially it's the same thing like snorlax tries to do you try to essentially stick something in the active spot that they can't really do anything with and you basically trap it there mm-hmm. and there's a lot of decks that work very hard on knocking out bench pokemon and things like that um but there's also cards in the format that constantly search it out so like it'd be like imagining if snorlax had an attack that let you put an item from your discard back into your hand and you just did that every turn that sounds absolutely disgusting just give it i guess a nerfed junk hunt but (laughs) the same idea yeah so what do you think so pow hand extension is obviously just one of the best cards ever printed, whether it's good game design or whatever is a whole different topic, but an incredibly powerful card. In the current format, we have Countercatcher, which is seeing some amount of play, but what makes Pow Hand Extension in that format or any 06 just so much more powerful than what we're seeing Countercatcher being used as currently? Or I don't know if you played in the Zoroark era, but what Countercatcher was the first time that it came out. So... I don't think the company realized what they were printing when they printed it <laughs> on some level. Like I, I honestly yeah. don't think um, I'm assuming nowadays that their their testing of the cards they're printing is probably exceptionally higher than what it is or what it was back in the day. I mean, you do remember um, ADP existed. I don't know. If... OK, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying, though. You're right. Five years later, I I, never, I didn't play in that format, but five Good years choice. later when people are still complaining about it, yeah, I, I understand the, <laughs> the problematic part of it. But um, I don't think that they fully realized what they were printing. And then I think um, they thought it was a great come-from-behind card. It's kind of like countercatcher. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I'm I'm down. I can, um, you know, use it to kind of come back into the game. I don't think they fully realized that they were printing a card that could be as... I don't know even know how to say it it's just as as i want to use the word degenerate i don't know if that's the right word though okay, degenerate okay. is a good word yeah cool. as, as it was for the format um a lot of decks and even going back through there's a lot of decks um that i've built just to just take advantage of pow and it's you you can't even get people to test against you like people mm-hmm. just rage quit out of games <laughs> like you know um one of the decks i'm most proud of is i played a metacham houndoom deck for um 2006 they just played pow but essentially like the deck just your opponent has no powers um they can't play item cards and then you know they something is locked in the active spot so like um it just it just wasn't 
great for the game. I think, ironically, at the time, it didn't see the play that it it should have for a lot of those kind of degenerate decks. It was kind of played the way that it should have been played for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw, like, Jason Klesinski played two in his 2006 Mutric deck. And it was literally just like, oh, hey, I'm behind. This will give me a really great effect, which is kind of what they wanted. Um, you did see, like, the Metacham decks in, like, 2005 that would kind of take advantage of it. Um, but 2006 saw a little bit, but probably not to the extent they, they should have as degenerate of the card as it was. I'm going to be honest, that whole time as you're saying things, like, my brain is just cooking so hard on standard right now of, like, huh, I wonder if we're also underestimating the power of countercatcher because, like, oh, you can pow hand extension and then bench snipe. It's like, well, Sableye exists. Like, what if you're just going to, you know, keep countercatching stuff up and using Lost Mine on things and, like, yeah, I've, my brain's moving. Brain's There's moving. So, but it just the problem was back in the day. A lot of the decks were is like imagine like literally today if you gave Snorlax an attack that could damage the bench and then give it another attack that would search out the, the counter catcher is mm-hmm. essentially what you're dealing with with some of the older format decks. It was just it doesn't create a fun game experience. I will. I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. So and obviously that's a specific like the RSPK as opposed to like you're not insulting every single retro format, obviously. (laughs) No, and I mean, it's it's I I can't even insult it because like RS to PK is like. It it takes a very there's a lot of thinking in it Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, you know, like there's a lot of very high probability decision making that you have to make. And that's why people love it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a it's a really like it's a really like it's a really skill based format. Um, it just has some very degenerate decks in it. Um, and you know, you can say the same thing about 06 and you know, um, you know, 05 to the extent too. There was just a lot more counterplays in those formats versus, you know, RS to PK. But yeah, like I said, RS to PK, it's people love it. It's a very skill based format. It just has some very unfun decks and interactions too. And then one last question, although we'll see how long it actually takes to get to the answer of it. But what causes you to go back to retro Pokemon as opposed to jumping more into the standard format? So nostalgia, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of it, too. Um, I think for this is the first. So I played up until 2013 and I played a lot through 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have played just a little bit here and there. And I will say, like, I played a little bit this year, just some league challenges and just some local stuff. Um, but this is the most excited I've been for the game in a long time. Like, I, I think the game right now is just in a good place. I think the company is doing really good things with it. Um, I think the format has a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different decks that are doing well. Um, I... As far as the retro stuff, a lot of it is nostalgia base, mm-hmm. and I think I really enjoy that too. Um, and it's kind of a nice little escape, you know. I'm now I'm in my my thirties. I've got um, you know a lot of my time goes to you know work and family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, similar answers I think a lot of people in their thirties would give you. And yep. <laughs> to be able to, it just it's not. I loved playing this game competitively and I, I will use the term, you know, professionally. I love traveling to all the events and doing the circuits and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but sitting here in my thirties, 
um, sitting on a plane for 14 hours to, you know, or whatever it is to LAIC just does not excite me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm at the point in my life where, you know, an ideal Friday night is, is buying a pizza and hanging out with my girlfriend and her kids. Like, you know, that's like, that's the ideal, like Friday night to me. Um, so to be able to kind of jump in and jump out of some of those retro formats, um, and even standard format to an extent I really enjoy Mm -hmm. because, retro format something where i can kind of work on it when i've got time play some games you know do a you know a card night with friends and kind of you know you're not doing that same huge commitment that a a world's invite grind would be um and it's kind of the same thing with the standard stuff i love you know i went to a couple league challenges i've got a couple cups coming up just that ability to you know take a couple hours escape from um i I don't know when to call it real life and kind of um you know, be like, hey, man, this is awesome. I get to enjoy, play some cards with friends, have a good time, and then kind of step back and then jump back into real life is where I'm at in my life right now really excites me, and I really enjoy that. And I think being able to do that, especially with the retro stuff, to have that nostalgia factor, um, have a lot of great friends um, that, you know, enjoy doing that stuff too, and then we can kind of talk about, um, but also not have that huge financial or time commitment that, you know, traveling halfway around the world every other week, um, would have on it. I can't imagine how some of the players nowadays are going to, you know, they're on planes every, you know, every couple of weeks, they're going somewhere doing something. And that's, mm-hmm. um, that's exciting. And that's awesome. And I am so happy for them. Um, but sometimes that's a lot easier to do in your early twenties than it is in your, you know, mid thirties on things. I think that is a beautiful place to end it. That was a great answer about, you know, priorities and <laughs> the game is fun, right? They are supposed to be fun, at least. <laughs> it should always be the priority. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, if the people want more from you, where can they find you? Or assuming you would like people to find you, any handles, YouTube, et cetera, that you might have? Yeah, so just really quick, um, thank you so much for having me on tonight. It was sure. awesome to come and, like, talk about, like, the retro stuff and some of the, like, those you know, exciting moments from the past and kind of relive some of that, the glory days, I guess we'll call. Um, but yeah, so I, I have a YouTube channel called um, The Lost Zone, and I cover a lot of um, retro decks and retro formats. Um, the one rule that I had for myself when I did it was that it was going to be fun. So um, I don't have like a set upload schedule, it's just kind of when, you know, I have time to make videos and I enjoy doing them and um, kind of having that fun with it. I'm very, I try to be very good about answering questions and stuff if people have those on the videos. Um, and then on Twitter, um, the lost zone too, mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. And I occasionally post some standard stuff on there and, um, enjoy being in some of the conversations for stuff on that. So myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at mellow underscore Magikarp. Follow the podcast at Lake of Rage pod, rate and review the show. As always, this has been an episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.